You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Hi, this is Ahanu. And on behalf of Angel Rose, I want to welcome you to this session, this episode of the Honest to God series. Now, we've had Penny Kelly on several times discussing her previous volumes in her book series called Consciousness and Energy. And for those of you that may have missed these episodes, here's a little update. Penny Kelly is a writer, teacher, consultant, speaker, publisher, and naturopathic physician. She has been researching and exploring consciousness, cognition, perception, and intelligence for over 30 years. And she's written six books of her own, while at the same time publishes books on the subjects of spirituality and health for others. She has shared with us her experiences of consciousness and the growth of awareness. And in recent episodes, we discussed, for example, sex and Kundalini, as well as the evolving and collapsing of the world as we know it. And before that, back in 2013, we talked about dreams and even whether Jesus actually ever really lived or not. But today we're continuing our discussions on consciousness and specifically about the release of our new book in the series, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 3. Penny's book, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 3, is very comprehensive and it's really too much for just one interview. The chapter on just the analysis of Genesis in the Bible, for example, that's enough food for hours of discussion. So we've decided to have Penny on for a series of interviews. And we start today by recalling briefly our last discussion, and then we launch deeply into her message for the world. And here's the copy from the back of the book, just to position this for you. When a series of deaths, shocking revelations about conventional religion, and the collapse of a key metaphysical hero toppled the main pillars of support in her life, author Penny Kelly embarks on a search for replacements that will steady and comfort her. Her search led unexpectedly into a world of tangled information about the history of humanity that takes her back through thousands of years of civilization. As she works her way through one set of shocks, lies and disappointments after another, Kelly begins to see the threads of connection to an ancient civilization that has been both recognized and well documented and well hidden. As these threads begin to weave themselves into a completely new view of reality, she realizes exactly why this history has been hidden. Gradually, she sees that 2,000 years ago, there was a massive effort on the part of churches to sell religion to the masses. What was lost in this effort was humanity's bond with nature, the truth about human potential and higher consciousness, the rights of women and ancient techniques for advancing consciousness. Because these techniques were often sexual, there was a deliberate effort to limit sexuality by loading it with shame and guilt. The result has been a tragic loss of personal power, the loss of our goals as a civilization, and the ongoing suppression of our true history, which is the foundation of our future. This is a no-holds-barred book about religion, sex, power and consciousness. We discuss this and the true history of our planet and how in the beginning the world was run by the matriarchy 
and that it was a peaceful civilization for thousands of years. Penny. Hello, hello. Is that Hi, how are you doing? I'm good. All right, so you're very, very welcome. We have Penny Kelly with us. Once again, thankfully. Hi, Penny. Hi. Good <laughs> to be here. Good to be here. Okay, Penny Ahano is doing fantastically well with the release of her new book, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 3. She's hitting the, the charts on Amazon, Ahano. So I heard she's, she's crashing servers and breaking records and doing all sorts, I hear. <laughs> I don't know if I go that far. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's a, a wonderful accomplishment to have a high ranking. Yeah. Thank you. I was really surprised myself, since I, especially since I haven't sent out a single notice or advertisement or anything. I mean, I, I was just like, wow, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, you know, I was going to start this session with you by asking that question, Penny. And th what's motivating my question, though, is you, you may remember several years ago where it was very, very difficult to get anybody interested in consciousness. And here you are now, you've launched uh, Consciousness and Energy Volume 3, and you are really, really hitting the charts with it. So what has changed? Can you give us a, some little summary of what's different? You know, I think there's a certain maturation process that is going on within the culture. The um, just just the other day, somebody said to me, um, you know, I was interested in all this stuff, and and I gathered that what was meant by this stuff was, you know, psychic stuff, intuition, you know, the ET question, all the health stuff, all yes. of it. And and they said it never dawned on me that. It was really all just consciousness. Yes. And I yeah. thought, oh, okay. So I think, you know, people, by getting interested in those other things, eventually are led to the bottom line. And right, yeah, yeah. Because people, I mean, they, all, they, they say all roads lead home. So in a way, if somebody starts with tarot cards or a psychic reading or just wondering what's going on with our planet or sees, you know, read some conspiracy theory or whatever method they use, it's still all consciousness that leads them to the awareness of self. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So. Yeah. All right, well, Penny, we want to pick up from where we left off in your last interview because uh, we were talking in the last interview about the true history of our planet and you've spent a lot of time researching this and this is a good portion of your new book. And we were discussing how in the beginning the world was run by the matriarchy and that it was a peaceful civilization for thousands of years. So if we can springboard off of this, can we first talk a little bit about how the matriarchy was run and why they sacrificed a male each year? And also, for myself, I'm still kind of, you know, a little bit befuddled about how did that change from matriarchy to such a drastic patriarchy I mean, how did that occur? I mean, the whole thing just seems to be so off. Yeah, and, and it is, and it still is. <laughs> it was and still is. So um, so going back to your first question about the matri matriarchy and how it was run, it really was run as an ongoing, honoring, celebration, um, very aware 
um, powerfully aware uh, process or of raising individuals to honor Mother Earth and to really live very long lives. When you go back a long ways, people did not die at 60. They didn't die at 100. They didn't even die at 150 or 60. They were living very, very long lives because they were so sensitive to energy. The matriarchy ran on this uh, just enormous, unimaginable kind of sensitivity to subtle energies and the interplay of those between various pieces of the earth, parts of the earth, various locations on the earth, um, you know, water, the wind, the stars, etc. And they they developed a whole system of working with those energies and of adjusting themselves. They were they recognized themselves as energy beings and they were continuously adjusting to maintain their health and their vitality, etc. So the and then it started I actually think there was some sort of, uh, I'm not sure what it was. Um, if it was a dinosaur kind of thing event, <laughs> um, or some kind of natural disaster that occurred and the matriarchy began to degenerate into what I call the goddess cultures. The goddess cultures then were, um, cultures in which women were dominant. They they were the priests, the businessmen, you know, the legal system. They ran everything, the education system. And men stayed home and took care of children in the house. Um, that, they hung on to the idea of, you know, of honoring the earth. And they hung on to the incredible ability to, um, you know, work with energies, et cetera, et cetera. But as they began to as their energy system began to sort of implode and they became less and less sensitive, they still kept the honoring process of renewal, regeneration, um, that had been so much a core piece of the, of the main matriarchy 200, 800, 400,000 years ago. Um, but they began to then celebrate that idea of regeneration and to they would choose a young male usually um, the goddess was a woman was just a woman who had developed extraordinary capacities um, and there would be a goddess of the sea and a goddess of this mountain and a goddess of that creek and a goddess of this little piece of land and the goddess of whatever there, there were all sorts of goddesses and a goddess was Someone who had developed the ability to communicate with um, something, you know, could be an animal, could be water, could be something else. And so they um, they got into somehow, I'm not sure exactly how, they got into deciding that they needed to prove that they believed in rebirth and reincarnation. People were dying younger and younger, and they started selecting the goddess would select a young male and um, would, they had a cycle, they had an earthly cycle and, and they would follow that cycle and the cycle was in the spring or in the in the summer, at midsummer. Um, the goddess would select her young consort 
and they would make mad passionate love for, you know, a night or a couple months or whatever, as soon as she knew she was pregnant. They would then begin the arrangements to put the young consort to death, and they would tell him that he was going to be reborn as that new child developing in that woman's um, uterus, and and then come fall, Halloween time, or um, you know, right at the end of September, end of October, they would put the young man to death, and it would be a ritual death, very very stylized. They would tie him to a tree. Um, you know, that's where the whole Christ significance came in, because um, originally the original Christ was depicted as being tied to a tree. And they would do different things um, to the body. They would very often um, hit him with a club in the head so that he wouldn't be very conscious of what was happening. Or they would drug him. Different cultures did different things. And they would slice across the nipples, which meant that he would never be able, it was a symbolic message that he would never be able to feed anyone or nurture anyone again. Um, they would quite often do other ritual marks. They would take blood and they would sprinkle that blood, do certain things with that blood, um, usually sprinkle it on the fields or consecrate it or sometimes just drink it. Um, then, you know, they had other things. And they ended up cutting the body in half. And that symbolized cutting the soul from the, um, you know, from the physical material and then they would either bury him or dump him in a, you know, a well or a, something. They would do something with the God, body. it sounds grisly. It was. It was mm. very grisly. And mm. it was something that men came to, I think, fear deeply. Mm. And they hated that they were the ones being chosen. And as the, as the goddess cultures degenerated further and further... You know, every year there was a man in every village who, or a young boy or someone mm-hmm. who was chosen. That's a lot of men. And, yes. you know, gradually the um, anger built up. But, um, you know, the goal was to get the goddess pregnant. And they did not see that as sacrificing a male. Their real, really deep belief was, well, we're going to produce him again. Yes, He's going to yeah. be reborn. Yeah. as a new individual. And I think in the very beginning, um, actually, the man who was slain did actually make his way back to that body because the consciousness level was so high. And and we just we don't have that anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, here's the thing. You, you know, we believe deeply in following our intuition and in synchronicities. And our listeners wouldn't know, but we just got back from a visit to Bath in Somerset in England. And while we were there, we visited the Roman Bath and emblazoned up in the entrance reception area into the baths is this huge poster that says, The Goddess Awaits You at the Temple of Sulis Minerva. Now we thought, whoa, here we are, we're going to talk to Penny Kelly, you know, the very next day. 
And uh, here we are with this goddess awaits you <laughs> in our face. But my, my, the reason I'm raising that, though, is because we, we know that there's something to this goddess thing. And it leads me to ask you about the timing of all of this, because like that was during the time of the Romans, which in the bigger scheme of things is not really a long that long ago, you know, we're looking at right. 2,000 years. So when you talk about the goddess cultures, like when did the actual patriarchy really come into power? And what happened to that female energy then as a result of that? Can, can I interject real quickly, Penny, before you answer that? Sure. I just want to go back to, for our listeners, the distinction between the original matriarchy and the shift into the goddess religions, because there seems to be a difference there. Yes, there was. So could you just explain the difference and, and then go on into the patriarchy? Okay. The, the original matriarchy was this tremendously um, equal uh, position of men and women. And the fact that women were um, had a much easier time evolving themselves and developing kundalini and things like that um, led to women getting the upper hand eventually. There, I think there were some, you know, like I said, some natural disasters. And when, whenever there's a, a big natural disaster, a lot of custom goes out the window. And the people who survive um, may not be the ones who are the, you know, the highest educated or you know, they may not have understood something the way that it was really meant to be understood, but they'll try to duplicate it. They'll try to, you know, carry it forward. And so the original matriarchy was very, very loving. It was pro-life in every way. It was devoted to developing everybody on the earth as, you know, to become a Christed being, to become a full... You weren't considered a fully grown human until you had developed that Christ consciousness. And then, you know, after some disasters and some earth changes, um, you know, they tried to keep up with some of the ideas and they instituted rituals and it degenerated into the goddess cultures. And and that just really, and it, it just kept on degenerating. And then in about... I'm going to say maybe 4500 B.C., and, you know, bear in mind that Pomenko says that we have mistakenly added roughly 2,000 years to our calendar. So if you figure this is 2,000, we're in the 2,000s, mm -hmm. and the, you know, the, the tribes from the north started moving south into the goddess cultures about 4500 B.C., that says that somewhere between 6,500 and 4,500 years ago, the, you know, the entire goddess culture began to be greatly challenged. And I think, you know, based on what I understand about how civilizations arise and, and come to power and, you know, flourish and then die, um, that the patriarchal uh, males who came down from these very ferocious tribes in the north, uh, they were destined to do that because mm -hmm. the goddess cultures had gotten out of balance and men were second-class citizens. Yes. So when we come to the time of the Romans then, 
just 2,000 years ago, men were very, very entrenched in the whole patriarchy and the rule of law by men and so on. No, no, not really. The, oh. the goddess cultures were not completely finished. The okay. final um, struggles were happening between, I'm going to say, 200 A.D. and I'm going to say roughly the 1100s, 1200s, right in there. Right. Um, there had been quite a bit of suppression, and you know, and then all of a sudden. Um, we had this amazing renaissance, and the renaissance was really the resurrection of much of the knowledge that had been developed during the goddess cultures. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that would make sense, too, from my own point of view in terms of Irish culture, because the, they, the church, the Catholic church and Christianity in general, had to absorb a lot of the old pagan and Celtic and Druidic kind of goddess symbolism yes. into the religion in order to be able to absorb themselves into the culture. And for that reason, you still find a lot of the feminine in a lot of the Irish culture. And the way they did it, of course, was, for example, uh, where we're located right now in the county of Kildare, which is roughly uh, west of Dublin in the center of the country almost, the the patron saint of Ireland, one of the patron saints, along with St. Patrick, was St. Bridget. But she supposedly superimposed over a previous Bridget as a goddess. Oh, yeah. okay. And yeah. that was very evident up until the 10th or the 11th centuries. So okay. Pen, so, so Penny, with the matriarchy then, the original matriarchy, so there was no sacrificing of a no. male or no sacrificing at all. It was more to develop the Christ consciousness. I just want to be clear for people. So when they hear the word matriarchy, original matriarchy, they won't associate it with the descent into the goddess cultures. That's right. There's a fine okay. difference there, and it's a very important difference. Okay. Okay, so about the patriarchy then. So these tribes came down and basically eventually, um, you know, over overcame the goddess religions. But now, you know, we can see that we're in such an extreme patriarchy. So can you can you tell us like where is the female energy right now currently? I mean, where um, are we with the whole thing? With the male and female energies? Well I think, you know, I I like to this is where I talk about the dance floor. <laughs> Um, that the you know the, I I work with people all over the world and the you know the the males are if if the world were a dance floor the males are all on one side and the females are all on the other <laughs> nothing's changed um, huh you know and they're looking at that dance floor and they want to dance but nobody wants to dance the old dance yes and there's no um, there's no forgiveness the men have not forgiven the women for the you know, the ritual flayings and the fact that men were really second-class citizens had no power, and women went out of their way to make sure that men could not get power in the same way that the patriarchy did that with women until the women's lib movement took over. But, um, you know, I, I think, um, you know, at this point in time, there's a lack of forgiveness. You know, women have not forgiven men for their brutal, brutal, Takedown. Mm -hmm. I mean, the brutality of the takedown was 
um, was awful. And um, so there's a lot of competition. And the male patriarchy, um, you know, testosterone is an amazing thing. It is one of those um, hormones that has very specific effects on on the perception of the individual who's taking it. And even women who have taken testosterone have complained that all of a sudden all their thoughts ran along two lines. One was violence and aggression, and the other was sex. And that is, you know, that was a real nuisance for them. They said, my God, I can't get anything done because I can't think of anything about sex or beating somebody up. <laughs> well, that so, gave them a good insight into the, into yes. the, the male psyche, didn't it? <laughs> yes, it does. So I think one of the things we have to recognize is that we're at this place of needing a new dance, needing relationships where men and women form friendships where they nurture one another but if they're going to bring in and get tangled up with a legal system then they're caught in the patriarchy because it is a patriarchal legal system mm-hmm. and the other thing i think is really important as far as you know where the men and the women at is this question of of health um i don't think nearly enough people understand that your perception and your attitude is dependent on your diet and on your health, your overall health. So males and females see and feel the world through their hormones, through vitamins, through minerals, um, et cetera, et cetera. Every single mineral or vitamin has an effect on perception, direct effect, and on what you're willing um, to experience or allow in your life. So, for instance, magnesium. Magnesium, if you don't have enough magnesium in your system, you do not want to be touched. And it makes you angry when you are touched. And every single mineral and vitamin has one of those qualities that it imparts to the human energy system. And so we are so unhealthy and so deficient in so many things that we, I don't know that we can have relationships with one another until we restore that good health and the energy and the, you know, the vitality and the interest. And I think the fact that the entire country, especially in the U.S., is deficient in so many minerals now mm. that we see anger and vengeance and road rage, and aggression, and unreasonable kinds of vengeance and getting even kinds of things Mm -hmm. that we didn't used to see. That's because the degeneration is proceeding apace. So there you have it. Okay, so this makes me think, Penny, then for you who had... uh, a full-blown kundalini experience, which changed your consciousness considerably okay where do you relate the whole vitamin mineral hormone thing in terms of what the spirit of a person is capable of doing and realizing so how in other words one part of me agrees with you that if you don't have enough nutrients you're not functioning in a balanced way so therefore you know you could kind of say that everybody who is mean or nasty is is really ill in some way okay right 
Okay, so I can understand that in terms of moods. But, for example, the reason I'm asking the question is because um, in our journeys, going to these different places that we've been to and creating sacred waters and ingesting them, mm-hmm. we're finding a drastic effect, at least I am, on my psychic abilities. Um, you know, all of a sudden I started to see auras like pouring out of people after I took some of the chalice well water and the Glastonbury tour water recently. Okay, so what is that process that happens? Is it the minerals in the water that are shifting me or because or is it the energy of the place and how does that work on the physical body? Okay, um, you really, that's a really good question, Angela, and it's really important, and I think it's one that people maybe wouldn't be able to ask the way, quite the way you ask it, but it's important. They get caught between, um, but what about spirit? And, you know, if I could just do it with spiritual stuff, then why do I need to worry about the health stuff? And I think right there is a key Failing that we have, and it, it comes from not being educated in with the truth in terms of what we are as human beings and what everything around us is as other forms of being. So let's just put it right flat out there. Yes, you know, spirituality is important and, you know, blah, 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 and it makes big changes in your consciousness, and so on and so forth. And at the same time, that the physical self that you are is just nothing other than a collection of minerals and vitamins and hormones and enzymes and glandulars, etc. And each one of those brings the energy and spirit of themselves to the whole energy system. So when you don't have a spiritual awakening and you don't have the energy of magnesium, for instance, I'll use that because we've already talked about it, and, and magnesium is not bringing its energy to your energy system, then you're not going to have that energetic capacity. That doesn't mean that magnesium is the only thing that can do that because certain forms of light, certain kinds of sound, certain water with other frequencies. It's the frequency that matters, and the frequency is a form of intelligence. And so when you bring that into your system, that form of intelligence, knowing and being and expressing is brought into your system and operates in a, you know, a full-flowered fashion. When you don't have it, it's very, very difficult. When you don't have the magnesium, it's very difficult to allow yourself to be touched or to want to be touched, and and pretty soon you don't even want to be touched by words or by smells or by anything, by sounds. Um, so you just end up withdrawing. And that that doesn't that's going in the opposite direction from what the energy body wants to do, which is to explore into full communication with all that is. 
So every single mineral and vitamin brings its own consciousness and spirit into your system. And when you don't have it, it's very hard to, you know, to try to, to try to say you can't really experience certain things. You can't feel them and you won't know them. Okay. So first of all, what kind of magnesium would you recommend to people? And then the second question is, I can understand all that while you're in a body. So uh -huh. what happens when you're not in a body? And, you know, what happens to your consciousness then? If, you're, if your state of consciousness is dependent upon having the right stuff to okay. realize things or become more aware, then what happens when you drop the body and you're okay. just in your spirit? I mean, what happens to your consciousness then? Okay, so you're out of the body. You, What you take with you out of the body are your perceptual habits, your perception of limitations, your perception of where the rules are, etc. And if you um, carry all of that with you, you might as well have the body with you. Um, when you get out of the body enough, you begin to stretch those rules. And that's one of the things that Kundalini does for you is it blows all the rules right out of the water immediately. And then you're, you're, you're drowning. You're drowning in information. You're drowning in perceptions that have no rhyme or reason. They're coming at you 90,000 miles an hour. Mm. So, yeah. you know, you, the body is just a training mission that you're on that mm. teaches you or allows you to develop a certain quality or have certain experiences and we're just not we're just not using it that way. We're sort of trapped in something at this point that's going down and we don't know how to turn it around or could be it could be turned around and it really isn't all that difficult to turn it around. Mm -hmm. Um it does take commitment and on the way you have to have somebody who is um, guiding you as the body opens, the perception is going to open, and quite often people just shut down the physical process because they don't like the way they feel. And what they're needing to understand is you have to go through certain things. They call it, you know, doing the inner work, quote unquote, doing the inner work. Yes. And if you're willing to do that inner work, which means that you allow yourself to feel everything that you have internalized and let go of that and you feel it as you're letting go, then you can replace that with a new, broader, more comprehensive perception, more inclusive experience and a broader idea or definition of what spirit is. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, Angel Rose is anxious to, to find out about what kind of magnesium you're talking about for the body, the physical body. You know, almost any kind of magnesium is good. It's better than none. The best kind is going to be the kind that you find in, you know, potatoes and vegetables and things like that. Potatoes mm -hmm. are loaded with magnesium. Right, yeah. Um, and et cetera, et cetera. And so all the people who are very weight conscious are avoiding everything that's got magnesium in it, for instance. <laughs> um, yes. So, you know, the best kind of magnesium is the kind that comes in food. The second thing to be aware of is that magnesium is 
Um, it comes in, oh gosh, magnesium asporotate, magnesium citrate. Um, I think there's a gluconate. It doesn't matter. Hmm. Just make sure that the vitamin bottle does not say on the label that uh, sterates and you know, sterate is a preservative. And um, uh, silicone, silicone dioxide, et cetera, have been added because that interferes with your uptake of that magnesium. Right. So that's, you know, beyond that, they're all pretty good. Yes, yes, okay. Now, I've got a, a question for you, Penny, that is kind of springboarding off this, and I know it's not really in connection with the book that we're speaking about that you've just written, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 3, but it's it's about our understanding of what happens after death. When you drop the body and you're in spirit, many, many people who've had near-death experiences, they always report, first of all, going through this tunnel of light, but then they report that other beings that they see or are aware of have four limbs. They have two arms, two legs, and a head. So it seems that that from what you're saying is this is an imprint of the perceptions that they've carried forward with them. Is that correct? Um, yes and no. Um, tunnel is usually you leaving your own vortex of energy. The light is your own light um, because you are a being of a tremendous light. Um, but the beings, the humanoid form is really... Um, it's everywhere in the universe. It is, in many ways, the standard of beingness. However, um, there are places where you can get another, you know, another form that has survived and evolved tremendously, and they, they're not humanoid. And so they, you know, and some of them um, can even look kind of frightening. But okay. by and large, the humanoid, humanoid form Two arms, two legs, a head, and two eyes, ears, maybe a nose and a mouth, uh, depending on you know their internals. Uh, that's pretty standard. Right. Okay, we have gone over our time to take a, a quick little studio break here. So let us do that, and when we come back, we want to get into more about the male and female balance, and we want to talk a little bit also about homosexuality in relation to that balance. So. Join us after this break. All right, we're back now with our wonderful guest, Penny Kelly, who has just released a new book called Consciousness and Energy, Volume 3. It's available on Amazon.com. Another winner for, Pal for Penny. This is an absolutely wonderful book that addresses some very important issues in our world today and with us as male and female beings. So Penny, we've been talking about the matriarchy and then the goddess religions and then the shift into the patriarchy and the, you know, the off balance with that now to the other extreme and the difficulty that males and females have in terms of balancing these energies, not only in their relationships with one another, but with themselves. And so I'm Curious as to your opinion about where would you put homosexuality in regards to all of what we've been talking about? 
Um, okay. I, um, that, that's another really important question. I think it isn't that we can put homosexuality somewhere on a spectrum or on a good-bad, you know, balance beam. The real question I think that we have to ask ourselves, it has nothing to do with homosexuality. It has to do with the question, why is there sex? What is sex? You know, what is it about? And I, I think because so few people have been into a full Kundalini experience and, and almost no one has experienced a true spiritual moment even, which is an experience of bliss. They don't ever have a chance to experience the power of that bliss, which I have to say, I think I said it before, um, it's orgasmic beyond your wildest imagination. The whole body, mind, brain, energy system is absolutely paralyzed in this incredible bliss that is, the whole body is in orgasm that doesn't stop and just continues. And what you eventually realize, if you have enough of these kundalini experiences, is that the gurus and the ancient ones talk about bliss. God, Penny, you you describe that in such a wonderful way. I'm going out now to buy about two stone or two tons of magnesium. (laughs) (laughs) No, Penny, he's sitting here. He's sitting here grinning from ear to ear when you're talking about this. Okay, so but but we do have to talk about, and this will be our next interview. We're going to go deeply into this whole Kundalini issue. Okay, but. Does it have to, does Kundalini have to be awakened through sex? And then where does celibacy with the monks and the yogis and all of that come into play? Okay. Now, Kundalini does not have to be activated only through sex. Kundalini can occur at any moment, at any time. Um, I think one of the most um, unusual stories that I heard was one that I heard early on the head of the Michigan Metaphysical Society um, was named Solomon something or other and I went to see him because I was struggling so badly with Kundalini and he was he told me about his own experience he had been he was a soldier in World War II he was taken prisoner and he spent quite a bit of time in a Japanese prison camp He was sitting around the campfire, and he said he was cold, he was miserable, he was, he had been there forever, he thought he was never going to get out, and all of a sudden, he had this full-blown kundalini experience, Mm -hmm. knocked him right off of the stump he was sitting on, Mm -hmm. and he changed his life forever, changed him and his life and his perception and his experience and, you know, it, it allowed him to work with the Japanese in such a way that everybody in the camp was better off because of it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I've had other students who were, you know, or clients who were doing something totally different. Yes. Um, but that raises... It doesn't have to be sex. Right. But that does raise another question, because you, you mentioned about the necessity to keep the body... Uh, with nutrients like magnesium, for example, 
And in that case, with the that man in the Japanese prisoner of war camp, he wouldn't have been very well uh, kept, very healthy in lots of ways. The diet, I'm sure. So, what would have initiated that Kundalini experience for him? Do you think? Um, you know, I've asked myself that a hundred times, Ahanu. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure, but I do know that it is when you let go of everything, despite your condition, right. despite whatever, when you let go of everything and you step into a moment, 100% you are present and allowing and feeling it is at that moment that a kundalini experience is most likely to occur. Right. Sometimes they're very subtle. They happen at night in while you're asleep. And uh, you you wake up each day more tired than when you went to bed. And you don't realize that your whole energy system is changing. And so that's another way that it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it can happen as a result of relief from a terrible stress. All of a sudden, there's relief, and you, you're you so relieved that you allow that relief to flood through you, right. and what happens is this, you know, this huge expansion mm-hmm. of your energy that, that moves all the way up through all of the chakras and fills your entire body-mind system. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, the good health definitely helps. And it makes for a better day-to-day life, okay? Right. But it's not the only criteria. And the real thing, I think the real, you know, it helps to be healthy because you have to, you have to survive the aftermath of Kundalini, which can be difficult. Yes. But, um, you know. Well, let me ask you this question. Many conspiracy theorists would say that, you know, governments and banks and businesses and the, the, the power elite, let's say, will do, are doing everything to keep us from awareness, to keep us from Kundalini activation. But from what you're saying is that that doesn't have any effect at all because sometimes even stress can actually trigger it. Am I understanding um, you correctly? Yes, yes. Stress, the stress of governments and banks and business however, is so uh, widespread and so consuming that very often we just um, clamp down or we get into a defensive position. Yes. And um, that, you know, if the, if the government is chasing you across the backyard and they're shooting guns at you, that's big stress. Mm. And, you know, and having them all disappear and, and you wake up and realize it was a bad dream, that can trigger a moment of kundalini. But... Kundalini is, you know, I, I, after even all these years, 35 years, I have not got this, you know, down to a science kind of thing. There's so many conditions. And another thing is the individual. You know, my way of getting there isn't going to be your way or anybody else's way. Oh, darn it. Hannah was hoping he could just go hop into the bedroom, Penny, when we hang up. Why yeah. not? <laughs> that was my yeah. latest excuse now, you know. Let's yeah, go for a do. Kundalini you rise. Have every reason. No excuses needed. Um, <laughs> you know, sexual experience is supposed to, you will have a sexual experience with each, um, each Kundalini experience. And, um, you will wake up a little bit more 
with every sexual experience you have. So it's, the sexual experience is really, really important. The, and let's go back to the question about homosexuality, because that, I think, was an important yes. piece of what you were saying. Hmm. Um, you know, the, the, whole, the whole purpose of sex was not sex. It was to awaken the Christed self. And it didn't matter whether a man or a woman or a child or a tree or a stress or a bad dream or a good dream or, you know, a fabulous sexual experience caused that awakening. The goal was to experience the source of yourself. And whoever you were with was, you know, you had usually in the, in the old days, in the days of the goddess and the matriarchy, whoever you came into contact with, you tried to further their experience of love and joy and compassion and um, that whole bliss. And, and that, and people who did that were said to be husbanding or helping you to husband your energy, right. which meant to sort of gather and marshal and develop that energy. And somehow that it became just getting a husband whose responsibility was to, you know, get you into the source when it's really your responsibility. Mm-hmm. And and the whole thing just sort of devolved from there. Yes. So homosexuality began as this connection when, you know, two men or two women or, you know, even a human and an animal or a human in a, a place would somehow be able to bring one another into full communication with the source. And that's what it was about. Right. And so our, we have really our, taken the homosexual thing way off yes, the balance. Yeah. And indeed, uh, the, the present efforts by various governments in various countries, you know, to bring in gay rights and equal opportunities and equal representation and um, gay marriage and all of that kind of thing right. really is just a, a, a scratching the surface of what that uh, original purpose or the original Kundalini potential was in these relationships. That's right. And I think it also is important to understand that the patriarchy, when the patriarchy came in, they murdered, killed, raped, robbed, burned, pillaged, everything in their path, and the only things that they hung on to were the young virgin girls and the sheep and the goats and, you know, the animals that were an accumulation of wealth. And the whole sexual thing, um, you know, in terms of of the patriarchy has been they the men wanted full control over the women, and they had to make sex not okay because women were free. They were sexually free. They could do whatever they want, whenever they wanted, with whomever they wanted. And the patriarchy had to counter that. And so they did so by making sex bad and evil and saying it's only for procreation. Mm-hmm. And they set up all these rules and they, you know, they murdered women who went outside the rules, et cetera, et cetera. So it was just a way of making sure that they had control over their women. All right, Penny. Okay, so we're at the end of our hour just about. So um, are we, how do we have more time? Okay, five minutes. Okay, so I do want to bring this into our next 
uh, interview because I do want to talk about our true potential as divine beings, what the human body really is, what the human really is. And also with this discussion about sex and kundalini, you know, obviously there's been a huge distortion in the way we have sex, in the way we make love to each other. And even if we do make love to each other, because I think that whole idea of actually bringing out the divinity in someone through sexual encounters has really been distorted. I mean, the, the way it is now, it's almost like, well, I have this need, so you have to fill this need in me, and it's very selfish. It's not really about a generosity at all for, I think, a lot of people. That's right. Okay, and I know, being brought up Catholic, that from... You know, as soon as I started having hormones, you know, my parents were, you know, don't have sex, don't have sex, you know. I know. It's a mortal yeah. sin so that you can't, even when you're young like that and you're conditioned, you're already afraid of your own sexual energy. Mm-hmm. And you're doing a lot to suppress it. So I think next time, too, I would like to get into how the whole sexual energy got distorted and what that actually looks like for us okay. today and how do we get back to the true energy of sex where it doesn't have a distortion because yeah. people could interpret what we're talking about today is you know this hedonistic uh permission you know to That's just right. go do whatever we want without any sort of conscious um responsibility let's just say okay so I don't want to give that message, but I, I'm trying to find where is where is the proper balance with sexual um, expressions with people, okay? Yeah, and also, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and also the kundalini itself. I mean, you know, because I know like you had a full-blown kundalini experience. I've had the more subtle type where it was a gradual thing that occurred with yeah. me. And I would have these, you know, orgasms in different chakras or in my energy body, but they were also like a very subtle expression. And I'm sure I'm not nearly as awakened as you are physically that way. Okay, but uh, I want to talk more about that next time and really the potential of the human and all the things that, you know, prevent us from having that experience. I think that's good, and and I think that the, um, you know, the whole sexual thing. It, I don't think we can solve it in another conversation, but we can certainly bring some light to that whole subject, and and maybe begin to introduce the subject that or the idea that that sexual experience is the experience of source. It doesn't have anything to do with the guy, the state, the religion, the woman. You know, none of that. It has to do with you getting to the source of your own self, and that brings gifts. And those gifts are the gifts of the Christed consciousness, mm-hmm. and there's a resurrection within the self that is that we're designed to have, and that isn't going to happen as long as we're all hung up and angry about our partner or competing, you know, we're making love to the guy, but we're still competing with him yes. in some form or fashion. Yeah. Um, yeah, that can't, it can't be there. So, 
you know, the the whole that whole sexual thing leads right into the whole concept of the Christ and the transformed self and higher consciousness and the gift of of all of that. Yes. Now. I have to say that, uh, you know, when we started out our discussion on the show today, Penny, we, you know, we're, we're very much uh, guided by spirit in all that we do, and we hadn't planned out too much in terms of uh, being rigid about how our discussion was going to go. But for sure, it certainly touched on some very, very important subjects, the male-female balance and homosexuality and kundalini and all of these things. And I'm delighted that it took the course that it did. So do please, before we wind down now, give our listeners how to contact you and where they can find your book. Oh, okay. Well, the book um, can be purchased on Amazon. Um, Just go to Amazon and type in Consciousness and Energy, Volume 3. And um, it's $20.95. And contacting me, you can either contact me through my website, www.pennycally.com. Or send me an email, penny at pennykelly.com. Art, is there anything else you want to leave our listeners with, Penny, before we close? Um, You know, I think the thing that I would wish for each person is that they come to really get that there's a, a divine potential built into everyone, and everyone is working to reach that divine potential and restore that capacity and i would say don't don't give up you know don't don't get discouraged keep moving in that direction it is so wonderful once it happens and and i think it's not a happening all at once it's just gradual becoming and so one of the things i was going to say in response to something you said earlier and gail was that um, I don't think people recognize how evolved they have become in many cases. They don't know how to recognize it. Yes. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah. That's an important piece, learning okay. to recognize where you're at. That's a beautiful note to finish on. We want to thank you so much, Penny Kelly, for being with us today. We are finding ourselves in a series of discussions with you, and it's absolutely wonderful, and we look forward to the next one. We will post it on our website, and uh, we want to thank you again. Now, uh, pennykelly.com, our email address is penny at pennykelly.com, or where good books are sold, Consciousness and Energy, Volume 3. Thank you, Penny, very much for joining us, and um, have good travels and a good surgery there that you're coming up against real soon. Okay, we'll, we'll talk thanks. to you shortly. <laughs> yeah, it's a small thing. It's just my leg. So um, yeah. I will have good good travels, I'm sure. And thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. Good Bye-bye. night. All right. Good night. Bye-bye. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.